0: Welcome out there, my name is Jeffrey Goodman, I'm the Director of Marketing and Development with the YMCA of Northwest Louisiana and we are here for Episode 8 of our new podcast interview series entitled Shreveport Bozier, My City, My Community, My Home. My guest today is Vernie Howard, the Executive Director of Providence House and I am super psyched to have Vernie, so thanks so much for being here. Thanks
1: for having me. It's a pleasure.
0: My pleasure. Absolutely. All right, Vernie. So my first question is, you once said people have looked at community as just their neighborhood. Community is so much bigger than that. To be a part of a community means you don't just live in a space. It means you take part in the political process. It means you take part in the service process. It means you take part in the engagement process to make your community better and stronger. Talk to me about this quote above. I find it so inspiring and aligned with what we're trying to foster with the discussions like we're having today.
1: First, thanks so much for having me, and um, I do remember the quote uh, very well. I I think unequivocally, people regard their community um, just as their little neighborhood. And what I quickly learned, I think, throughout my career, my professional career, um, having lived in Atlanta for nine years, and then Baton Rouge for seven, and then coming back home. This is home for me. I realized that community, it was that community wherever, whatever space I occupied, it was that community that propelled me to do more and to be more. So let me back up just a little bit. I'm the, I'm the daughter of a preacher. Uh, my, my mom was a social worker. My daddy preached for 50 years at one little Baptist church right off of Line Avenue and I would watch my parents do some unorthodox things or at least they were to me as a kid um, I would come home and my mom would be emptying her freezer and sharing with a neighbor and I would always say well are you giving all of our grocery away like what are you doing like what are your th-? and my mother would always say we are our brother's keeper didn't understand that at 10 I thought there were my Fruit Loops going to the neighbor. You know, what, what's the deal with that? And so it was in that moment or those moments that my mother and my father were teaching me in their own discreet and maybe not so discreet kind of way that it, while we have food, you have to be concerned with the woman that lives next door whose three children go to school with you and we know that she's not had a meal. And it and and so those little bitty life lessons even when I was in church and church was about welcoming everyone. Everybody had a place and space. Everybody belonged. If you couldn't sing, you could still be in the choir. If you couldn't if you know no matter what your talents or your gifts or what you didn't have, there was always a place. Where you belong. And so for me, community is creating that space where everybody belongs regardless. And so, Jeff, I want to tell you that never in a million years did I think that I would be the executive director of a nonprofit. Um, Even though I knew the lessons, I knew about community, I knew about community engagement. Uh, not only did I watch my parents, but even when I was younger, I was involved in uh, a girls group. Uh, we served the community. We And sometimes you're mimicking what you see. It's when you become an adult that you live those lessons. But my career path really started in banking. And I was in an enviable position. I mean, I was... Uh, I had the opportunity to make a lot of money and live in bigger cities and be exposed to lots of things and lots of culture. And coming back home to Shreveport really meant I came home to take a job with J.P. Morgan Chase and you know, I was about my business. You know, I gave and I can, I, you know, I gave to charitable causes. Uh, I'd been involved and on board, but when I came back to Shreveport in 2013, the gravity of those lessons that my mom and dad had taught and what i saw in the city from the homeless perspective from the blight perspective uh the conditions of our schools it was jolting because i had just come from atlanta and just come from baton rouge and it looked you know decisively different and it was when those lessons of being a part of the community and lifting the community really settled on my shoulders. And I joined the board of Providence House in 2013. And um, that was really eye-opening because how we were treating homelessness, it was counterintuitive to everything that I understood to be community. And so even launching on the board of of Providence House, um, those life lessons, when they resonate and become part of your fiber you are no longer concerned about just yourself just your children just your income um you if you are not concerned with your neighbor if you are not concerned with your community you never grow your your children never experience better your community never becomes its full potential Uh, if everybody's not engaged, if we are just settled in our house, in our own little living room. So, um, for me, it is, I get up every morning to do this because it is part of my fabric. It is never about me. I I think in another interview, I, I shared that my mother was my barometer. My mother was never concerned with an award or uh, an accomplishment. She was like, baby, that's good, and you you learn from mama. But I need you to go to Sam's and pick up my Sam's order. She kept all of us grounded and reminded us that it is never about you, but it's about the work that your hands have been assigned to do. And so when we embrace that um, outside of our community, a place and space like the Y, we can embrace it inside of a community. And so I just, I, um, I do believe we are our brother's keeper. We are. We are.
0: So this next question, I'm going to cheat a little bit uh, and steal something you told me when we last talked on the phone. Oh, boy. My question is, who is Bozier?
1: Um, very great question. I think even when I hear the terms Shreveport-Bosier, I think of twins. We are really the same in almost size, scope, values, um, wants, needs, beliefs. People, um, but I think that little bridge that divides the twins can often be so divisive that we no longer see ourselves as twins. We use the the lingo to report bozier but and twins have very again it's very similar a lot of similarities. But because of that bridge, it almost separates us into um, two completely separate entities, very similar, but we don't always talk to one another. We don't always interface with one another. But I think Shreveport is an amazing city with great potential. I think Bossier is an amazing city with great potential. I think if we work together, we would be an amazing force for the good of of Louisiana and I think if we stop regarding ourselves as you know you know I'm Vernie executive director of Providence House you're Jeff and at- we're two people who are working for the betterment of mankind and if we would regard our cities that way we're two cities that are facing some of the same issues you know um maybe shreveport has poor schools and bozier has better schools but man what are you doing over in bozier that we can replicate over in shreveport so that we can have great schools in louisiana you see so shreveport bozier i think is on the cusp of becoming something great if we don't allow that one little bridge to separate and divide us into um, two failing spaces, that's if we come together, we're stronger and we're better together. Or we can fail as two weak entities. So I, I think that's who we are.
0: So you have an you have an interesting perspective. You're a graduate of Cato Magnet High, and now you have a daughter at Caddo Magnet Hive. As you watch your daughter experience Cato Magnet in 2022, what makes you concerned compared to the experience you had when you were there during the 80s?
1: Wow, that is an amazing question because my daughter is so much smarter than I am. I can't tell her that. Um, my experience, what, what concerns me, between the two experiences her life skills and ability to navigate some of the dangers that she's faced with that I wasn't necessarily faced with is startling let me give you an example Um, back in 1984 when I started high school um, it was very regimented you know you didn't really get the joy of your own thoughts, you know, this was the class you were taking, this is what you were going to wear, this is where you were going to sit, this is what you were going to be. So remarkably different today. Uh, when I look at the kids at Cattle Magnet, uh, when I listen to their conversations, and I think I want to, uh, that's where I would really want to kind of hang out, their conversations, Um, They are exposed to things that I was never exposed to. My daughter was mourning over the loss of a classmate, a sophomore at at Cattle Magnet, who drowned. And did we have tragedy when we were in high school? Absolutely. How we navigated that, though, was so different. Um, My daughter taught me that, Mommy, before I learn my friends' names, I need to learn their pronouns. That was very different. That's scary for me very different world and so what's happening today for hannah is she is exposed to so many world issues that i'm not sure if she's ready for but that's my job as a parent what i love about the school and what i love about her educational process is that man she is open she is open to thinking Uh, She has been exposed to new concepts and she's just a freshman. Um, She is so focused on her grace and academic performance so much more than I was. Um, And it is just a microcosm, I think, of what the real world looks like. When I was there, it was a sheltered world for for kids that were maybe had a little bit more academic stamina, I don't want to say smart kids. Um, and those are two different worlds. And when we begin to have political conversations, doesn't scare me. Uh, I never give her the benefit of awe because I want her to always talk to me about everything. But I am um, cautious about some of the conversations that they're having in school around politics. Um, her thoughts, and I asked one day, um, and I think it caught her off guard, I said, what are your pronouns? And she said, oh, she, her. And I said, oh, okay. Would I have been surprised if she would have said something else? Perhaps. But would I have given her uh, a moment of awe? I, I want her to feel, to be free to share. We didn't have necessarily those freedoms or a forum we didn't have social media that when you ask the question, what scares me? That is what scares me. Kids are getting their information from social media. So as a parent, it heightens my sensitivity to the information, the things that they're talking about and then the source of the information. And I think her knowledge base and expansive mind, I embrace, source of our information so if she tells me when we're talking in the car she said oh we were talking just yesterday she said do you know the number one cause of death among pregnant women and i said no she said uh murder i was like that doesn't sound right she said domestic violence is that we're and i'm like wow i'm in the field and i didn't know it so we are talking about things that matter And and my first question was, where'd you get that? What was your source of information? (laughs) Was that TikTok? Because if that's TikTok, don't tell me it's TikTok. So these kids are getting information and they are shaping and forming their thoughts and ideas around information. So as a parent, I am more aware of my role and my husband's role in buffering what what is true and what is maybe not true. And it is a hard role for parents because when they're talking about it eight hours a day and believing it eight hours a day and when you extract them from that environment, I need to make sure that we are giving her accurate information and accurate resources. So if, if there's a thing as scary, that is the one thing that scares me with the source of the information. Well, what I love is the expansiveness of her of our mind and uh, it's a beautiful process to watch so my little boy says um, mommy Hannah's just like you and uh, I said no she's really smart but don't tell her please don't tell her please don't tell her so it's, it's been a great experience the school has been an amazing experience for both of us in fact she's taking an AP exam tomorrow um, she's been practicing she took a practice ACT and 28, 29, so she's bright, but as parents you know, I'm a, I'm a uh, a study of the word of God, I'm a Christian I'm a believer, and the word of God tells us they will be wiser but weaker, and I see that word being fulfilled in every, Hannah is smart beyond uh, these kids are so smart because they are engaged with information, but they're also so weak, and sometimes their foundation so yeah
0: and what makes you you've you've covered this a little bit what makes you hopeful as you compare your high school experience to what you see your daughter experiencing now those kids make me hopeful
1: let me tell you they don't care what their mom and dad's political beliefs are they are. They care, and they want to hear. But they are smart enough to shape their own thoughts. Uh, they're not going to be steeped in something that they really don't believe in. They rally around something that they believe in. So I am hopeful that girls, young women, understand that they are not. Um, they are not reduced to just being a and you fill in the blank a career path that's traditionally for women, that they can be anything that they want to be, that they can. Hannah, and I I will share this, good or bad, right or wrong. Hannah has already declared, um, I will not go to school in Louisiana. I want to go up north. I want to learn and I want to see something bigger because I want to come home and make Louisiana better. That is what gives me hope. The fact that she's saying, I want to see something bigger so that I can come back and make this better. That gives me hope. Um, it gave me hope, her first event, that all the there was a group of girls that got together and went to their first dance. And not a single girl looked the same. That gives me hope. They were from different countries. They Nobody was one of the same of anything. There was every nationality represented. That is why I love Cattle Magnet, and that is what gives me hope. Um, it gives me hope that uh, my 11-year-old boy who's at Fairfield challenges my 14-year-old daughter who's at Magnet High that they understand that education is the one thing that you hold on to that no one can take away from you, no one can minimize it, no one. that gives me hope that I have a boy who is not focused on um, gangs and things like that, but wanting to be smarter than his sister. Uh, what gives me hope is that my daughter is engaged in the world and the processes. And let me, I'll I'll just give you one quick example. When Natanji Brown Jackson was going through confirmation, I, I saved the text messages because she would watch clips and there was a Senator that asked one of the most brilliant women on the face of the planet. What is the definition of a woman? and Hannah responded to me, is this really a question? Like who asked a question to a a person that is being confirmed to the United States Supreme Court, who asked a a third great great question to a woman of of such brilliance? And my response was a person who has not yet valued women of color who have not valued uh, um, education, a woman who is, uh, or a person who is looking for an aha moment instead of a person uh, asking a question about how you will serve and how you will govern in the highest court of the land. And Hannah's response back was, this makes my heart sad. And I will keep that text message. Because at ninth grade, 14, she's already recognizing that you can be bright and you can have checked off all the boxes. And because you may be a shade darker, that someone can question that. Um, But it gives me hope that my daughter desires to be the best, the smartest, the not for me, but so that she can be a better person, so that she can help her community to be a better community. That's where my hope is. That 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 is and that is why I get up every morning so that little kids who've not who've been given a zip code of 71101 because they are homeless can have the same hope even if their mom and dad are not the ones to instill it, even if it's a case manager at a homeless shelter, or a crazy ED who believes that everybody can be anything that they wanna be, if they have the uh, educational background, if they have the desire, if they have what I call grace and grit to do it, um, so it's not going back to our initial question it is not just my responsibility to raise up Hannah and Matthew it's my responsibility to raise up children that can see bigger than the, their their natural landscape um, that's where my hope comes from and that's why I do this 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 very hard work every single day
0: and who just going back to something you said earlier who who is creating who do you? credit with creating that that culture at Caddo Magnet and creating that culture of openness or that that culture of being um, okay to trust your beliefs or or trust your feelings, trust your instincts? Where's that coming from? I
1: think that environment is facilitated. Um, When I say boots on the ground, instructors um, certainly reinforce that. Um, Those teachers are having uh, conversations with those kids. Sometimes I think it kind of skirts right there on the edge. But when you step back and you look in, uh, when a teacher is willing to share with you their fears and their failures uh, to say, hey, let me teach you some life skills. uh, Those those teachers are the boots on the ground and they are really um enveloping those students and giving them not just this protective bubble that parents give but they're giving them a protective space to think Um, I think, um, leadership of the school, um, the, and you know, they're on their third or fourth principal. When I was there with Ascension Smith, uh, and then it was Mary Rounds, who was my English teacher, by the way. And I give her credit. Um, and now, uh, oh, and then it was Dr. Um, Eagle Fritz and then uh, their current principal. And I think that school from inception had to have leadership principals that said, hey, these kids are not your average student. These kids have the capacity to be our next, you know, whatever, governor, president. So we have to, this school has to create an environment whereby it is not just their academic performance, but we've got to instill in them the um, forum to, to think and share. And um, I wish that every school could be that way, but every school cannot because you have to acknowledge that every student is not an average student. So I applaud those teachers. Um, And even here's another thing that I love. When teachers fail, Hannah has a teacher who was um, 23 years old. And it was a big job and very stressful and that particular teacher didn't make it through the year and so now we have a permanent sub in one of her classes but i think that teacher realized that even though i was a student here it's very different when you sit in the leadership and that's what i try to tell hannah or and anybody that i'm um, i'm sharing with it is so different when you're sitting in the stands but when you're the pitcher or when you are the quarterback, or when you are the leader, it is a different level of responsibility. So I think the school has done an amazing job of selecting teachers. And we kind of had this conversation of every um, age range to give perspective. Those students get a, a, a very uh, Very perspective around education, and um, I think it makes them better. And it, it, they, they are unafraid, um, they are um, sometimes unfiltered. But can, could you imagine? I didn't have that experience. Um, my thoughts were filtered because we honored our parents, and there were some things you didn't say and some things you didn't do, and but you still wondered, my Hannah has that unfiltered experience of education and she'll be ready for college and she'll be ready because she's been given the um, space to form her own opinions and her own thoughts and to maybe have some control of her educational pathway. And that is amazing to say of a school and that's why they are regarded as one of the best of the best. But they are such an intrinsic part of who Shreveport is. They are a part of what our community can become. Um, The downside, those kids, once you get a hold of an opportunity to grow and educationally, emotionally, even in your thought process, you tend to want to spread your wings. And where do I go where I have like-minded people? And that's why, you know, we talk about the brain drain all the time in, in Louisiana because people are looking for that connectivity. And so it is my hope that more people would come back and then connect so that Shreveport and Bossier really can be a powerhouse in, in Louisiana. Yeah.
0: So you do, you do extraordinary work mm-hmm. as the executive director at Providence House. Thank
1: you. Thank you.
0: Talk to me a little about the homeless in our community are most of the families who are homeless in our community struggling with issues around poverty mental health drugs what are the main issues or the main causes creating homeless in our community
1: it is every single thing you just named so I have in December will be my seventh year when I arrived on campus in December of 2015, uh, I experienced what we all—and when I say we, the general community—their their concept of homelessness. There were a lot of younger girls with very uh, little education, with a lot of kids. There were some younger women who did not further their educational pursuits. There were women there fleeing domestic violence, uh, which is one of the leading causes of homelessness, to answer the question more directly. Um, There were no men when I got there. And uh, there were people who were there because of a history. Uh, In fact, I had one young woman who said, um, because I know every resident, I meet every single family because I want to know their story. And one young woman who said, Oh my God, um, back when y'all started, you, the little blonde, curly head girl on the photo, that was me. So my grandmother was here and my mom was here. And that was a moment that was, it broke my heart. But that was a moment when I realized that I am here to do something different than what we've been doing. And so all of those stigmas, all of those things, what has happened since, if you ask me about the population that we have now, COVID was the great equalizer. Um, there were families that had great paying jobs, Bentler Steel, Uh, Calumet, Libby Glass, making a living wage, caring for their families, and often supporting um, other family members because they were the breadwinners, right? So COVID comes, everything shuts down. So let me tell you what homelessness looks like now. Domestic violence uh, is still one of the leading causes. Uh, Divorce is one of the leading causes. Uh, a, A lifetime history of systemic poverty uh, lack of education and job skills, uh, drugs, pro- uh, cause of homelessness, mental health, um, kind of it, you know, inching up as being the number one cause of, of homelessness. But let me just tell you, what we can now add to that, a pandemic can be a cause of homelessness. So uh, there was one point at Providence House that we had 50% men and 50% women. I just want you to think about that for a minute. So Providence House is a homeless shelter for single men with children, single women with children, married couples with children. So the common denominator, children. You know, you have to have a child. And we were seeing this influx around 2018 of men who were coming in with two and three kids. And, and so we stop when we see these trends kind of, and we begin to ask questions. And so we are the keepers of lots of great information about how these men, not nationally, what happens in the world, right here in our community, we're asking men, how did in the world, did you get here and where's the mom we heard incarceration? we heard strong out on drugs and signed over parental rights we heard moms walking out who just didn't want to be moms anymore and dads who were saying these are my children and i am going to take care of my kids and so i'll never forget this one particular man and i was looking at his daughter and i was like we're going to help you sweetie pigtails in every direction the happiest kid you ever wanted to meet she didn't realize that, hey, my hair's not combed right, my clothes don't match, my shoes are dirty. She knew, hey, I'm with my dad and I'm, I'm good. And so we were able to help men to find their space again so that they could care for, for their kids. We had around 2019, so we follow the trend around 2019, we had more men who were victims of domestic violence at Providence House than we've ever had in our our almost 35 year history. And so you would think men, victims, because they knew if I struck the woman that I would go to jail and be separated from my kids. And so one of our greatest success stories is Benny Brown, who was a victim of domestic violence. He's allowed us to use his name, his picture, his story. He works at Drug Emporium right now. He's been working since 2019. The community rallied around him, made sure he had a new car, um, taking care of his kids, doing amazing things, a victim of domestic violence. Then we get to COVID. And it was the first time that we were seeing men and women with college degrees, with masters, who simply spent their savings and they were the rock of their families and they would be helping other family members and there was nothing and then they their homes not evictions because those are renters mortgage foreclosures and they had nowhere to go and so when you layer on a pandemic then you really get to see the vulnerability of our community and when you would hear and and I'm sure we've all heard it people are just one paycheck away from you know homelessness it is true and it's especially true in our community but not just our community it's true in our country Uh, so many people have found themselves holding on to their last little bit the eviction moratorium saved a lot of people but I would tell you within the last three weeks I've gotten five phone calls from the sheriffs who were putting people's furniture out and calling us saying, Can we bring the family? Absolutely. I have a gentleman right now who suffers from diabetes on dialysis, only source of income, social security. So, you know, our our mission is to get you self sufficient, right? So it's either a job or job skill. Well, we are having a pivot a little bit. And so, because I know that he is at his highest level while on dialysis, but he has two boys. And so now uh, his highest level of self-sufficiency is going to be his social security income. But now I have to shift into how do I get this family housed sufficiently so that their income supports their living so that they're not homeless. Um, It is, I I want for for people who are listening or, or will view this podcast to really close your eyes and really think about what I'm saying. One pandemic destroyed an entire family's mobility, their security, their mental health. And so now what we're seeing Um, I see people who are angry. They're not angry at me. They're not angry at the system. They're angry. And so the fallout of anger is more violence. Uh, uh, I would call it callousness and carefreeness. And so that's what we're seeing when people find it okay to drive down Fairfield and shoot randomly and, and, and a thirteen year old girl is dead as a result. That is what we're seeing when we see a nineteen year old boy kill a sixteen year old girl right here because they were angry. This anger didn't just bubble up. This was anger that was brewing and as a result of a pandemic and 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 unhealthy mental health and just kind of this lack of hope, we see that boiling over. We see an angry political climate. Um, you know, the storming of the Capitol was one thing. Feeling justified in doing it was something else. And now you have these, and and now we have potentially uh, overturning Roe versus Wade. Now, so you know what's what's happening? Angry people are now rallying around something else that can cause either either, even further anger and boil, does it boil over to something that can be catastrophic. A person can't find a job, but I can watch the news that's sometimes feeding me negative energy all day. Ah, it's okay, you know, if I shoot my spouse. So we, what we're seeing is, This natural progression, and when I say we, we're watching it, we got 35 years of history of this natural progression of the audience that enters Providence House. And it, um, it is eye-opening, but it is also, we gotta be ready. I can't, I can't wait for it to come because we know the volcano is coming. And so we are hiring more case managers. We are hiring more mental health professionals. We are making sure that we have licensed professional counselors around our families now to say, hey, we know you're having a hard time finding a job. You know what one of the other causes of homelessness? When people have felony records. Um, If you have a felony, nobody wants to rent to you and nobody wants to give you a job and so thankfully our partners like Goodwill Industries they have a reentry program so we may be able to get your job but we can't often can't get your housing and so now we have okay we got your job to keep you prevent you from becoming ha- uh, homeless but I can't find you ha- uh, housing because you got evictions and you have a felony it is almost uh, a death sentence for families who are right there on the fringe and so I'm kind of a glass half full kind of girl and so we have to go out and find good partners and good landlords um, not slum lords. and there are a lot of them out there I am going out to homes where there is no plumbing and people are living there kids are living there I am going out to homes where there is an, an extension cord going through the window from one house to the other house to supply power, I am going into homes where, I'm not talking about where there's no food, I'm talking about where there's no refrigerator, and kids are going to school, and they're supposed to be, to be able to sit at their desk and concentrate and focus when they didn't have food. And when they didn't have a bed to sleep, that is what's happening in our community. And so let me tell you, I'm in an enviable position because I get a little bit of funding through the city of Shreveport to prevent people from becoming homeless. And so people would say, well, if you prevent people from becoming homeless, then you're going to run your shelter out of business. Well, that's our intent that's our intent we're breaking the homeless cycle we don't want that families are living in a communal environment that's not natural that's not normal for me to 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 have my husband and my two kids sharing a bathroom with another family that I've not met or to eat in a kitchen where I don't get a choice over what I eat that's not normal but what is normal is that families eat together at a table and we have conversation so if that means that I can help pay your rent for three months to while your husband goes or while you go out to look for a job, then aha, that's breaking the homeless cycle. But what I am finding more and more, um, some families don't want to go look for a job. Oh, I'm only going to make 10 bucks an hour, but that's $10 more than you had. And so we are trying to shape and change mindsets. We are teaching parenting, parenting skills so that if you are angry, you don't have to take that anger out on your kids. Uh, You don't have to abuse your kids. Or if you feel hopeless, there's a counselor, there are people to talk to. So what we do in one little bitty space at 814 Cotton Street is um, not just, and it's going back to our very first question. When I started, we cared for our little community that we call Providence House. Um, over my seven years, everything that we do is open to the community. Our adult high step program, it's open to the community at no cost. Our, our um, child development center, it used to be just for Providence House kids. It's open to the community. Our workforce development program in partnership with Bipsy because I believe you come across that bridge. So we have an extension of Bipsy's campus right there at Providence House. It's open to the community. So because we know what's happening, we can't just help our little families at Providence House. We've got to raise up this whole community. And so homelessness is a cause that will never go away. The, I, the word of God teaches us, the poor you will have with you always. But my responsibility, my call, my purpose to is to empower you no matter what your socioeconomic status is. And so we do great work at Providence House. It is a team of people that hold me up and say hey you go keep telling the story we're going to keep we're going to take care we're going to protect the village and we're going to go outside in the community and share with others in the village it's being our brother's keeper what my mom taught me what my dad taught me 50 years ago and so that's what we get to do at Providence House and so homelessness is the same issue a different face the face looks like us now it looks like two educated folk great vocabulary perhaps, great opportunities, great families who found themselves in the midst of a pandemic. And uh, the pandemic did not buffer any of us. In fact, it exposed the vulnerability of a community. And so homelessness is not just that 16 year old girl with three babies and no education. It It is the woman who's fleeing domestic violence but has an MBA. That's what it looks like. And so what I l- love about being a visionary is because I am armed with information, I don't have to wait for the federal government to tell me what types of programs I need to have in place. I don't need to wait for another organization to tell me, oh, get ready, violence is coming. Because we see it, we, I have a team that we sit around a table and we say, okay, where do we need to grow in order to meet the demand that we know is coming? And so it is, it is more counselors, it is more workforce development, it is more early childhood development. And I think those need to be the, our, our um, Child Development Center, those have to be the highest paid staff members. Because if I can teach baby words, sentences, reading, then they have a chance of circumventing homelessness where mom and dad may not have had that same opportunity. So homelessness, the face has changed since uh, we started back in 1988 and will continue to change as our culture and our world changes.
0: All right. So I'm, I'm down to my last question. All right, I'm ready. Vernie, what changes we need to make to this community to what changes do we need to make to make this community a place your two very bright kids would want to return to to live after they complete their schooling
1: what changes do we need to make I think we need to change the face of leadership and and let me be very specific about that, that our leadership ought to include everybody within our community. I think we have to stop hiding in corners and sharing our messages just around the water cooler and be active in our community. Sometimes we are so concerned with offending people. You know, I don't want to say that even if it's the best idea or the right thing. And I think there's always a way to communicate and with diplomacy. Um, I think we have to stop looking to everybody else to resolve our problems and really roll up our sleeves and be a part of the solution. It is not our school's responsibility to completely educate our kids. It's, it's parents responsibility to be part of that educational process it's our responsibility to make sure that we send our kids to school equipped with what they need to learn and grow and be successful um, so we have to stop pointing at it's the school's job to fix this it's the only the police's job to, to solve crime it is only the it is all of our jobs and I think so often, We sit back and we say, oh, our tax dollars pays your salary. Go fix it. But one person can't fix what's a a systemic problem. So I think our leadership needs to be reflective and inclusive that people of color, of all color, uh, it should look like my daughter's um, first dance. It should look like the Rainbow Coalition. It should look like everybody getting in there. It should look like cattle magnet where it doesn't matter what you believe or what your pronoun is. Do you have a solution to resolve what's been going on? I think we draw these really hard lines in the sand and we don't cross them. Um, I think we got to start crossing the lines in the sand. Um, I believe that we have to stop allowing our politics to drive our policy. Uh, Right is right and wrong is wrong, and it's okay to have a different belief. But don't let the politics become so divisive that I won't reach over and work with you if it means making our community better. Um, I believe we ought to listen to the voices of our young people. And I think we ought to allow them to be a part of the process early on instead of saying, oh, no, let me fix it. And then you come back when I fixed it. And they come back to different persons, same, same old thing. Um, because it tells our children, you know, business as usual. I think we need to be creative and stop and, and, and not reinvent the wheel. But look at cities who are prosperous and who are, who are doing it really well and call and say, hey, I'm Bernie Howard. How do I replicate what you have done in our city to make our city better? I think we uh, need to check our egos as leaders. I think as soon as we stop having an exalted opinion of ourselves to say, you know what? I've done uh, I've I've run a, a shelter for seven years. It's 35 years old. But if somebody comes in and says, hey, have you ever thought about maybe putting a Y at Providence House? Because diabetes, obesity, mental health is going to be our next uh, uh, traumatic event. I want to be able to listen. And so I think if we would begin to listen, and not always be so quick to talk, um, that... Our community changes, and and that change when young people begin to realize that my voice is valued not who I look, not what I look like, not who my parents are, not any of that, but my voice is valued. Then they they feel like they have a space and a place to come back and make it better. Um, I see right now, if you were to ask me, uh, I see my children living other places. Um, I, I see them wanting more. I see them yearning for bigger. But I also know that if they had the same opportunities here, if they had commerce, if they had jobs that would pay them the same as they're going to make in Atlanta, why do you think I ended up in Atlanta? Uh, somebody took a chance on a little girl who grew up in Moortown, one of the uh, poorest neighborhoods in in our uh, community. But look what can be produced out of Moretown. Uh, and somebody gave me a chance because my mother and my father insisted, "Hey, we don't, we don't, we don't use slang in this house." We we. I remember saying something, um, and my mother said, repeat that? Because I was trying to find the subject and the verb and how they agreed or disagreed with one another. And so that, we, we have to have more moms who will say, and more dads who will say, hey, Jeff, you may not be my biological kid, but I see something in you. People have to begin to invest in one another. But you know why we don't invest in one another? We're fearful. We don't know enough about one another. Um, I stop my kids when they begin to use this broad brush, brush stroke to paint a whole group of people. Um, we don't do that. And, and when I hear my kids doing that, I'll stop them. When they say, oh, all blank people do blank. Really? Um, I told my daughter, I said, well, that is a very racist thing to say. That is a very close mind. Well, mommy, I don't remain all, but that's what you said. And when we begin to realize our word can either um, lift a person, our words can cut a person. Uh, Being careful how we say things. I think if we we took the time to do more of this and just talk, even if it's one-on-one or two-on-two, we would learn that we are more alike than different. But where, going back to Hannah, where we get our information from. So if the belief was all criminals are young black boys, then another person may not feel inclined to invest in a young black boy whose name is Matthew who's not a criminal. But if we believe that all young black boys are doing X, then you would have to group Matthew in that group. Matthew's aspiration is to be an Eagle Scout. He just made Boy Scout. He was a Weebelow and he was a cub and he was a tiger. And he was, my husband is a den leader. So my husband and I invest in our kids. So Matthew understands that men invest in their family see we're teaching something and so some boys may not have the gift of dad being home but when a community says i am determined that you are going to be successful that's what teachers did when i was growing up so when we have community investing in and not being fearful of um, i think it creates a better place and a place where our kids want to come back. we got to give them something to do. There is nothing on the weekends for, for our kids to do. So we drive to Dallas. So Matthew went to uh, a Texas Rangers Atlanta Braves game last Saturday uh, because he's an avid baseball player. But he played on a team where he was the only boy of color. But guess what? He didn't even know that, He didn't even know that he was the only boy of color because he was on a what? He was on a team. He was He was working for the greater good. They wanted to win the championship. Mom and dad were there and we became friends with other parents. They got to know us and nobody looked at the color of our skin. Maybe we, we may have noticed, but that wasn't the driving force. So we I think for my kids to come back and and, and want to be here, we have to have a thriving economy. We have to have bigger thinking, we have to have a community of an inclusivity we have to have things for them to do and grow and want to be a part of and i think above all we have to teach our kids we whether it's the parent or the community that we cannot just be concerned with what's happening in our own home that we have a responsibility to raise up this community I don't care if you don't live in Cedar Grove. I don't care. But if there's a kid in Cedar Grove that needs Hannah to tutor in math, well, let's get our butts in Cedar Grove and tutor that kid in math so that that kid has an opportunity. So I think when we all get together and can play nicely in the sandbox and stop drawing these hard lines, this is my territory, and open it up and say, this is our community then we're creating that place where our kids will come back and they will thrive and they will give and they will sow of their time and their talent to make Shreveport-Bosier really a twin city with an invisible bridge as opposed to the bridge that we now have that separates us. That's what I think.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And thank you guys for listening. What a treat.